0: Uh, We need more of you in our life, Lord, more of your love, more of your power, more of you in our lives. And so now we submit this time to you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide and direct my words. Let the meditations of my heart, Lord, be acceptable to you at all times. And let us come together as we listen uh, to hear more about you. We need more of you, Lord. Amen. So it's the third week of a sermon series on call. Holy Cross has taken call and divided it up into three nice chunks. There it is. Um, That reminds me of something very funny from my past. I can't go into it right now. See me afterwards if you want to hear a funny story about a cobwebbed phone. Anyway, uh, the Holy Cross has broken call up into three pieces. Um, There's the call to follow. There's the fulfillment that occurs as we follow, that's the second piece, excuse me. There's the formation, that's the second piece. And then fulfillment, which is what I'm going to talk about today, is uh, the third piece of this three-part call according to Holy Cross. The first thing we have to establish, though, if we're going to talk about something, is we all need to be on the same page. Amen? Amen. Not bad. And what I mean by that is we all at least need to agree, I think, for the purposes of a sermon, or this sermon in particular, that there is such a thing as a call. Whether you've heard it or not, whether you've recognized it or not, I believe everyone in the kingdom of God, and we're all in the kingdom of God, uh, I don't mean we're all in the kingdom of God, I mean we exist in God's kingdom. And so all of us have heard the Lord call us at one time or another, whether we recognize it or not. That doesn't mean he's not calling, it just means we're not listening, or we're not looking, or we're not responding. So here's a quote about call for everyone. And see if somehow this doesn't prick you. It's from the great author Jack London. But especially, he loved to run in the dim twilight of the summer seeking for the mysterious something that called. Called incessantly. Called waking. Called sleeping. Called at all times. Called for him to come. It called, it called, it called. Well, I believe followers of Jesus were all called into God's mission. It's St. Timothy's mission statement. We're all called into God's eternal plan for his kingdom. We're all called to join in. And so I want to recap quickly the last two weeks of the sermon series just for my own kind of get my speed up, kind of get a running start at this. But step one of this call for Christians is the call to follow. It's the call that Jesus very succinctly lays out in two of the Gospels to two guys fishing. He looks at them, says their names, and says, come follow me. Something about the way he said it, something about the way he looked, something about his authority, he was dressed like a rabbi, caused those men to quit their jobs and to go follow this guy, not with the benefit of his resume. He has the power of the universe in his voice, and it stirred them to follow. It happens again many other times in the Bible, this call to follow. I I used this last time, but it's worth saying again. Thomas has his call to follow at his moment of greatest doubt. God can use even our doubt to get us to follow him. Thomas is the one you remember who wasn't in the upper room when Jesus appears the first time after the resurrection. Jesus has been crucified. People have witnessed him dead. They've watched him get buried. And he returns from the dead. And the first thing he does is he appears to his disciples. Thomas isn't there. We don't know what he's doing. Probably watching television or checking his Who knows? But he's not there. The disciples tell him later, probably over coffee the next morning, you won't believe it, the Lord came. And he says those famous words Unless I see it for myself, I won't believe it. The next night, they're gathered again. The Lord, doors locked, comes right through the wall. And you know, the other disciples start elbowing each other, going, Oh man, Thomas is going to get it now. Here comes Jesus. We told him he was resurrected. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He walks right up to Thomas, and I can just imagine the loving way he says it to Thomas. Like when God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He doesn't cast them out naked, he clothes them. God's law is always preceded by his mercy and grace. So before Jesus reads Thomas the riot act, which he never did, he he extends grace and he says those beautiful words. Thomas, Thomas, put your hands in these holes where the nails were. Thomas, stick your hand in my side and believe and then Thomas responds to that call. Thomas drops to his knees like all of us would with that act. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Paul has the same conversion. Paul, this guy who's persecuting the church, who's putting people to death, who's, I'll hold your clothes while you throw stones this time. I mean, that's Paul. He's a mean, bad guy. He's on the road to Damascus to go kill a few more Christians when Jesus calls him. Paul falls on his face that seems to be the standard operating procedure. He falls on his face Yeah, when jesus appears, maybe if he walks through that door, we'd all fall on our face. I imagine (laughs) Paul falls on his face um, And and asks those words that i'm going to end the sermon with who are you lord Not what are you lord or what are you saying? Who are you lord? And jesus says well i'm the lord get up and follow me and paul's blind and then later um, In the Gospels, Peter has that moment where he declares that Jesus is the Lord. And he does that with some fanfare. He's in the boat. Jesus is on the beach, remember? And John's sitting there next to him. They've been fishing. This is about a week or two after the resurrection. And John recognizes Jesus cooking. And he looks at Peter and he kind of says, hey, look, it's the Lord. And then Peter stands up half naked because he's fishing and screams at the top of his lungs, it is the Lord! Puts his clothes on, dives in, and swims to the beach. That's Peter's clarion call. That's the moment Peter's all in to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. But don't forget that verse from Paul, who are you, Lord? I'm going to come back to that. The next place was the formation piece, which is what I preached about last week. It's the place where God's spirit, as he promised, is poured into each and every one of us so that we can go and live the Christian life. We can't do it on our own. I know Sean Norris, and I know he preaches that all the time. We don't earn our salvation. We don't work ourselves into heaven. It is only by the power of his spirit being poured into us that we are formed. And as that happens, what it begins to look like is y'all coming to church this morning. Because whether you know it or not, Holy Cross Ion, what you're saying to all your neighbors is, as you get in your cars or walk here, is the same thing Peter says as he's being formed. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else are we going to go on a Sunday morning, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Not CNN, not the Post and Courier, not the local coffee shopper. The words of eternal life, Lord, are here. We can't do or respond any other way. you formed us to follow you. And then the third piece this week is the fulfillment piece, which is what I want to address today, the fulfillment piece. I listened to Sean's sermon last week, and Sean said the loudest call in our lives occurs usually at places where we realize we need the Lord the most. Probably Thomas's moment. When he looks at the Lord and realizes, oh my gosh, I was wrong. Lord, please have mercy. He needs the Lord to show mercy. Um, Sean also gave the analogy of the Prince Caspian book, which is one of C.S. Lewis's part of Chronicles of Narnia. And he talked about Lucy later in life, I imagine a teenager, meeting Aslan the lion again. And Aslan's the, the lion or the god figure in the story. And Lucy meets him as a teenager, having known him as a child, and says, oh my gosh, you're bigger oh my gosh, you're bigger. That reminded me of a really funny joke I saw years ago where this very old man is opening this gigantic door of a room. And as he's reaching up for the knob, which is three feet above him, and as he's pulling it open, inside the room is this gigantic fireplace and this huge overstuffed couch and these massive paintings. And the guy, the cartoon person, looks at the person reading it and he says these words, he says, ah, just as I remembered it. In other words, those things that we remember as little kids are not always as large in life as when we go back and visit them as adults, just as I remembered it. Well, Lucy was having her mind blown because Aslan was getting bigger as she was growing older. And Sean's point is, that's what God does. He's always bigger than we think. He's always calling to us like that Jack London poem. And he's always calling us out of something, calling us from a certain place, a certain circumstance in our Christian life even, into something new. And that comes with two challenges. Those two challenges are, I've discovered, and I bet some of you have too, that the first thing that happens is we tend to put off the people that are closest to us. Last week in the gospel reading, Jesus lets his parents leave for three days and he stays in the temple. Remember that? And his parents came back and they're a little mad because they couldn't find their son. I think that's really sugar-coated. I mean, if if my son was gone missing for three days, I'd have been more than a little mad, especially if it was his fault. Anyway, (laughs) Jesus immediately has put himself at odds with his biological family it happened to me when I said yeah I think I'm called to seminary and my family responded somewhere like this and they're Christians lifelong Episcopalians gone to church all their life but their response was something like yeah 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 Gary we go to church but you're taking this Jesus thing a little too far you don't need to go to seminary and I was like where else can I go Lord you have the words of eternal life so that's the first thing that happens and then the second thing that happens is we don't often and almost always don't know where we're being called to African mission trip is a good example. Any Anytime the Lord calls you into some place, out of some place, it's always, it's always to a place of risk. But Paul says, and here's the good news that I left the church with last week, as we're being formed, what we're being formed into is not first and foremost disciples. This is going to get me in trouble with Chris Warner and maybe Sean. We are being formed into disciples, there is no doubt about it, but there is an entryway into discipleship. And that was my point that I ended on last week, and I'm just going to hit it and then move on. The entryway into discipleship is what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Right, right. The old is gone, the new has come. And then what he goes on to say is, we're given a gift of reconciliation. He says in verses 18 that what we do now as this new creation, is we share in God's message of reconciliation, as, and he uses a word, it's right there in 2 Corinthians 5.20, ambassadors. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody should smile at that. Ambassadors first. Ambassadors to discipleship. Do you know what the qualification it takes to be an ambassador? If the president of our country walked in here today, and looked around this room and looked at that young lady over there and he said, you're now the ambassador to Poland. And you'd be like, wait, I'm the ambassador to Poland? I don't have any qualifications. The only qualification you need to be an ambassador is appointed by the king or the president. There's no class. There's no certificate. There's no, nothing you have to pass or do or be. All you have to be to be an ambassador, Paul says, is to be a friend of the king. So we are first and foremost ambassadors to discipleship. Um, if you've ever done, and I, this is where I left them last week, if, if someone this summer has asked you to water their plants, hey, would you mind watering my plants? I'm going to North Carolina where it's a lot cooler. Ambassador. <laughs> ambassador. Um, if, you, if you smiled at a barista this week, if you said thank you to a store clerk, if you pushed a card in from the shopping center, ambassador. Ambassador. Ambassadorship is easy, and it's the entryway into this life of discipleship. And as ambassadors, we let God's light shine through the cracks in our lives. I've talked about that before. And so that brings me to the fulfill part, finally. Well, I want us all, for the sake of this short sermon, to consider the word fulfill in a different way this morning. I want to I head in a direction um, that's a little different than the present tense of the word fulfill. I want to actually use the past tense, fulfilled, E.D. Listen to these words from Jesus. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Fulfilled. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is telling his gang that these things are fulfilled. So to be called into a life of ambassadorship vis-a-vis discipleship, um, needs We need to understand that the work that it took to give us what we've got has already been done for us. It is fulfilled. And I want us to relax. And I want us to actually imagine uh, this third step as something as natural or easy as breathing. So everybody take a big breath in and let a big breath out. It's an it's a involuntary response. We breathe without knowing it. That's the way we ought to view this third piece of the call. If you were coming this morning thinking, okay, wow, I hope he doesn't lay a few more things on me. I'm already doing this, 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 and this. I'm in a small group, which I love. I'm doing this. My kids are active. If he if he gives me one more thing to do, I think I'm running out the door. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm saying you're already living into the fulfilled piece of ministry. Um, what we need to what we need." In order to understand that, I think, is a, is a different understanding of what ministry is all about. We tend to believe, I think, that ministry is something we do. We're going to go do ministry this morning. We're going to do the overheads. Thank you. We're going to do the table. We're going to, we're going to do ministry. Um, what we need to understand is ministry is something Jesus does that we get to participate. It's a, it's a participation We see our lives, we begin to see our lives in this fulfillment stage as sharing or participating in His life. It is His will that we worship this morning. We're joining Him in worship. It's not our ministry, it's not this church that makes Christ present, you see. It's the living Christ that makes this church present. Do you see the difference? We're relying on him first. We're asking him first to manifest himself. We're asking him first to be the leader in the fulfillment process. To fulfill God's purpose, what we have to know, what we have to hang on, is that it's all dependent on God's power. It's all dependent on going out in the power and name of Jesus Christ. That's why we hear all those amazing things in this particular gospel today. Where Jesus says later in that same passage, he saw Satan fall like lightning. He said, you guys, when you went out, men and women, 72, were so powerful, you actually disrupted the universe. You you set it back on its right axis for a period of time. But not because of anything you did, but because you went out in my power. And the end of this is the part we didn't read this morning. He says, give thanks for what you did, but that's not the reason you should ultimately give thanks. He says, give thanks that your names are written, written, past tense, in heaven. It has been fulfilled, our names have been written. Now, go out knowing that, is what he says. That's the beauty of this third step. Uh, Rick Warren wrote a book in the 90s called The Purpose Driven Life. He spent 20 chapters trying to define and describe what a purpose-driven life looked like. He did a real good job. Um, Well, in summary, what I could say after reading that whole book is, um, God's purpose for our lives is summarized in just one word, Jesus. I know that's the Sunday school answer. Sean said that last week, Jesus, but it's true. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus deeply and thereby knowing his ministry and then through the power of the spirit being united to him and sharing in his life is the center, according to one of my commentators, of all practical theology. Let me say that again. Knowing Jesus, knowing his ministry and through union with him and sharing in his life is the center of all practical theology. That's just God knowledge. If you want to understand God, then this is what it's all about, is what the commentators say. It's it's back to the very beginning where I started with that question that Paul asked Who are you, Lord? See, we believe in a who. We believe in a human being like us who got hot, cold, who was hungry, tired, irritable. We believe in a who first. That's what this piece of fulfillment is all about. Asking that question over and over and over again. Who are you, Lord? So for example, Jesus walking on water, sitting in the boat. The first response, if we're going to ask the bigger question, is never, what are you doing? Well, we can see what he's doing. He's walking on water. Know why? He created it. The laws of physics and chemistry don't apply to him. Just like time doesn't apply to him. He doesn't have a watch. I know some of you are looking at your watches, but he, just, he doesn't have a watch. No, no, we need to ask the bigger question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? It's, it's imperative. It's, it's this whole idea that everything now that we walk into with that in mind leads us in a different direction than it normally would. So a hospital visit or, or, or stumbling into somebody who's interrupted our day doesn't become, what do you want me to do now, Lord? Or what do you want me to say to this person now, Lord? But who, who are you, Lord, in this room, this hospital room in MUSC? Who are you, Lord, on this telephone call to my mother that I've talked to her six times this week? I really don't want to go over this again. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord, in my business? Who are you, Lord, in my relationships? Who are you, Lord? We immediately come back. Our compass immediately points back to you are the king of creation. Okay, young people, are you ready for the opposite of what who are you, Lord, is? And I do it all the time. You ready? The selfie. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, the selfie is the exact opposite of who are you, Lord. Um, it's the moment in time when we're at some fabulous brewery. Well, maybe not y'all, but I'm at a fabulous brewery, or I'm at a dinner, and my kids, and they're like, "Let's take a selfie." So we, you know, all know how to do it, right? Everybody, hold your hand out, pretend you're taking a selfie. Come on, move, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We're all taking selfies. Okay, you've got them in your phones. You have selfies in your phones, don't you? For people my age, they're in the file that says selfie. Um, they're in your phone. What I'm going to give you permission to do when you leave here in the car, hopefully you're still laughing about this, is I want you to pull out your selfies. And I want you to look for the presence and reality of Jesus in every one of those pictures. Because he's there. If you're in the picture, you have Christ in you, Jesus is there. If it's a picture of your pet standing on a dock, the beauty of creation reflects the character and nature of God. God isn't water and trees and mountains. God created them, but his character and nature is reflected in his creation. So every picture you have that's a selfie that could be used to distance yourself or myself... From the lord is actually an opportunity to realize his reality in our life right now he's already here it has been fulfilled our names have been written we begin to live out that theology that i talked about we no longer see our mission as bringing people here on sunday mornings it's great bring a guest i mean i love sean norris's preaching your praise band's fantastic this is a beautiful intimate space it's certainly worthwhile inviting people but that's not the point of your ministry of our ministry. The point of our ministry um, is to bear his spirit and his presence everywhere we go. And to see our piece of fulfilling it as simply pointing to his presence. So like I said, those visits with others, interchanges with our neighbors, traffic, whatever's going on, gives us that opportunity to ask, who are you, Lord? And all of this is accomplished by the power of his Holy Spirit, which is described as dynamite in the New Testament. It's not some little man be pamby easy the holy spirit is a person and he is powerful there's a story about uh, if you took the new testament and you left it on a desert island and people had never read the new testament before and and a week later you went and picked them up in the church bus and brought them to your worship they'd never read the new testament they'd never been to your worship the first thing the people from that desert island who had been exposed to the new testament would say when they got off the bus would be where's the holy spirit We want to meet the Holy Spirit. Because the New Testament is a story about the power of God's Spirit in his ambassadors and in his disciples. Paul describes this new life as being in Christ. Calvin describes it as a mystical union. And the Holy Spirit's not an extra. It's not an add-on. It's not something you can decide to have or not have. Um, The Holy Spirit is something you receive as a gift from God. And when we begin to understand that, when we begin to understand who we are in relationship to this man God... we we begin to participate in his grace giftedness. And I love that word, grace giftedness. When we understand that, we can begin to fulfill his call. And fulfilling his call looks like relaxing and recognizing. It looks like pointing to him and pointing to things in ministry. And when we do those two things, as our bishop prays almost every time, it always brings glory to God. When we do those things, when we relax and live into what he's called us to do, and we spend time pointing to God... It always brings glory to him, and it sets us free to serve our neighbors. Amen. You know what? Amen and P.S. <laughs> I, I, I grabbed this this morning, and I meant to squeeze it into the sermon, and I got a little off track. Listen, listen to this beautiful description of Fulfill. Listen to this. Real purpose, lasting purpose, is not only possible, it's what a life lived with Christ and his people is all about. That's in y'all's bulletin. I thought, well, there it is. I should have just said that and I would have been done in five minutes. But I mean, that said, a life lived with Christ, lived with his people, is what it's all about. Amen.